Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Busman. And when I started this podcast, I had no idea where it would take me. Tim Ferriss had me on his, and afterward he said, Cal, you've got to start your own. Made sense. I'd been interviewing the icons who'd shaped the world over the last half century for Esquire magazine. Why not do the same on my own podcast? But from the start, this podcast has taken me to unexpected places. I've actually begun to learn how to piece together a business by listening to my guests. From the start, it was Kobe Bryant who pointed toward the need for storytelling in these times. Daniela Fernandez, a woman I met while she was in college only a few years ago, a woman with the audacious goal to save our oceans, showed me how to dream big. No, not big, exponentially. Damon John of Shark Tank told me to rethink the phrase sell out. When you're in sales, he said, that's the idea of a business, to sell out. Olympic figure skater Sasha Cohn got me thinking deeply about reinvention. And now I'm starting a business that will help businesses tell their stories. It's not a marketing agency, not a public relations firm. It's authentic storytelling that will help companies cut through the blizzard of information we live in and get their message out in a way that will be remembered. That's because it's the story that grips. It's the story that makes people lean in. It's the story that endures. It's clear how many companies need it, and we're off the ground. My guest on Big Questions this week, James Altucher, has come aboard to give me some advice on how to make my business soar. As many of you know, I've never run a business before, so it's all new to me. If you want to start a business, the great part of the next hour and a half is that James will also give you insights on how to strategize. James has started many businesses, made millions, lost millions, made millions again, lost millions again, and made millions again. He knows the terrain. He's written books. He's an angel investor. He writes a beloved blog. His podcast, The James Altucher Show, has 200,000 listeners, and he has a comedy club, Stand Up New York, where he often performs. It's just great to have a conversation with him. And anybody thinking about starting a business is going to get something out of this back and forth. Makes me wonder what the first days were like when WeWork was formed. Or Sportique, my sponsors. I should have the founders of both companies on to find out how to turn your passion into a business that gives so many people value and comfort. A business that creates jobs and live so many lives. You know you're bringing value and comfort when the renowned pizza maker Chris Bianco wears Sportique, or when Mark Roberts from the group OAR goes on stage in Sportique threads. I wouldn't be surprised if it's for the same reason that I do my intros to this podcast in my Sportique hoodie and sweats. I feel completely relaxed, and that sense of comfort blends into confidence. You can check out what I'm talking about at sportique.com. That's S P O R T I Q E 
Com and use the offer code CAL to get a 20% discount. You're going to be really happy in a sportique hoodie, comfy tee, or sweatpants. I am. And WeWork. The other day I stopped in a WeWork in Pasadena and got to the elevator banks. The word curiosity was painted across the entire wall. Let me tell you something. When you see the word curiosity painted across an entire bank of elevators, you know something good and creative is going to happen. That's my kind of place. And then Kelsey Porter and Rebecca Johnson were at the desk to make me feel even more welcome. WeWork makes my life so much easier. My global access pass gives me access to any we work in the world, and we works are all over the world. So check out all the options for office space at wework.com And if you go to www.we.co slash cal, you'll get a 20% discount. My days start off better just knowing that we work and Sportique are there for me. And they can make your days better too. And so can James Altucher. So let's get straight to James. So great to have you, James. Cal, once again, I am so, I'm going to take over the intro of your podcast. This is James Altucher. I'm here with the excellent podcaster, Cal Fussman. Cal, welcome to the Cal Fussman podcast. <laughs> And now you know why we have a stand-up comedian, business genius on Big Questions this week. <laughs> you're, you're too kind. And I'm going to need the sense of humor and the genius. Well, I am happy to be on the show. I'm always grateful. All right. So I don't know how much you know about the crazy things I've been doing, but you are the person who I'm sure can give me guidance because we spent time on each other's podcasts. We met each other outside of that. And I heard you on stage at your comedy club. So I kind of know how your mind thinks. And it thinks the way mine does not. That's why I need to see the world through your lens. Well, it's interesting. Why do you think yours does not? Why, why do you insist on defending your weakness? Oh, my goodness. I mean, you could say to yourself, maybe you haven't run businesses, but you've been very entrepreneurial, right? You know, and I know, to be a writer... You have to hustle quite a bit. You have to kind of keep finding that next writing gig, speaking gig. You know, you have to please. Nobody's your boss and everybody's your boss. So it's it's very entrepreneurial. That That's true. That's true. So I I guess I have some background in this. Uh, and I, I had to go to the editor to sell a story. Uh, but very different from thinking like a CEO with a strategy because my life has always been improvisational. And so I'm generally reacting off of things that I see or that other people say. And now I have to think like a person who will be in charge of a business. I'm gonna hire people. They're gonna be depending on me, James, depending on me. So I, I got to be as rock solid as my father. What did your, what'd your father do? My father worked for IBM for 28 years. So he didn't build them 
a million dollars. Like, no, that's he took he took that was during a time when you could work for IBM for 28 years and feel safe about it, like not worry about your job disappearing, for instance. A hundred percent. In fact, my mother always used to say, I have a great pillow to sleep on. <laughs> and in fact, IBM would not fire people back in the 60s. I mean, you had to do something outrageous. I, I, I shouldn't say they wouldn't fire you. They wouldn't lay you off. I think I think that kind of trend continued really until the mid-00s. Like I remember I worked at HBO in the 90s and the joke was basically you would never get fired unless you peed on the boss's desk. That was the <laughs> no. saying. And it was true. There were so many people there for decades who just did nothing, but they just wouldn't get fired. Like it was a very nice kind of company. But now people will fire in any company. I've heard of some companies now, you get to the age of 40, you're gone. Yeah. They just want a culture of thinking different, thinking ahead, and they see older people as just rooted in their ways and slowing things down. Well, and also the people who are 40 are not necessarily doing more work than the people who are 25, but they're getting paid a lot more because they've been rising in the pay scale. And I think here's what happened. In 2008, the financial crisis, suddenly every company in the world really, but particularly in the US, every company in the US suddenly had an excuse. Oh, we, sorry, we have to fire you. It's the financial crisis. Not our fault, it's the financial crisis. And so for the first time ever, they got practice in firing the people who were useless at the company. And, they're, and they were like, oh, this feels good. Our P&L looks better now all of a sudden. And in fact, profits soared in 2009 and 2010. Profits went up huge because they, they fired everybody and unemployment was, was at a high. And, and actually, um, I don't know what it's called. It's called like unemployment for the amount of people who were not even filing for unemployment plus the unemployed was at almost 20 or 30 or some ridiculous number. Companies now, they, they exercise that muscle. So they're not, they're not going to give it away. Do you, when you look back on this time, do you think the great recession of 08 uh, will be seen in some ways like the great depression Back at the end of, or back in the like the early 30s, end of the 20s, early 30s, will it be seen in the same way? Uh, yes and no. There was a lot of things happening different economically. And don't forget, the Great Depression really lasted from, let's call it 1930 to 1940 or 1941. And, and, and then you had that combined with the, the Dust Bowl you know, so it's just all this weird, you know, grapes of wrath. Kind of, yeah. You know, there were, there weren't social welfare programs to kind of help people who were, who were really super down and out. You know, I think the 2008, they learned from the lessons of the great depression. Now, not everyone agreed with the way those lessons were learned, but essentially Ben Bernanke, who was the head of the federal reserve, his PhD thesis was how he would have solved the great depression. So he was, a, he was able to apply the exact techniques. No, nobody even really knows this. Like, I, I think I'm the only one who's like looked at his PhD thesis, but he was able to apply the exact techniques, which is basically, you don't need to worry about inflation because the economy is so horrible. So let's just parachute in a trillion dollars onto the economy. And we don't need to, usually you would worry about inflation then, but his point was you don't need to worry about it because 
where the economy is so desperate, it's not going to inflate at that point. Everyone's going to be so, no, it's not like people are going to get the money and buy uh, new houses. It took, it would take years and years to restore confidence. So he was confident in doing the bailouts and that actually prevented the, the great recession from turning into a great depression. Well, it certainly had an impact on my life because I think you could literally draw a line in the sand and look at the way magazines were before and after that time. Yeah, because I worked for magazines too. They used to pay before then. They stopped paying after. Yeah, so for me, it had some pretty drastic uh, effects, although... David Granger, the editor of Esquire, he held on and paid his writers for as long as was possible. He had a 20-year run there. But I don't know that any magazine would be able to pay writers you know, nice salaries, and, and not only nice salaries, but a lot of writers on the same staff, nice salaries. It's just, I think that's over, never to be seen again. Yeah, I think, and you know, you got to figure Esquire is, so luxury brands survive the longest, oddly, because there's there's this sort of brand value. It's not a commodity. And Esquire is a a luxury brand. So people kept reading it and they wanted to always bring in the best writers, a la Cal Fussman. But I think if you were working for like, let's say a place like the Wall Street Journal or or any, I I don't want to pick up the Wall Street Journal, any newspaper really, they were fine saying, look, we're, we're cutting our pages. We cut our advertisers and we got to cut you. We lost our advertiser for that page. So we got to, we got to cut your salary in half. And that's what was happening uh, in, in most of the media business. Like Esquire was losing advertisers, but you held on personally because you were valued there and you had, you know, you, you, you really had made an impression there. You know, something else was happening at the same time that just has occurred to me. I, when I went to college, uh, I went to college with a woman who created those priceless ads for MasterCard uh, that were hugely successful. Mm. And I was talking to her the other day and I said, like, could you have ever imagined when you were in college that people would be paying money not to see advertisements? You know, you know how they do that on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. So the advertising got hit, I don't know if it's the same way, you tell me, but it seemed like they got hit in in some fashion in the same way as the editorial side of the magazines. Yeah, like when you were driving into your office today, do you remember any of the billboards you saw? Can Uh, Can you tell me a single billboard you saw? No. Okay, and you were driving on a highway, right? There was definitely billboards probably every 50 feet. You probably saw 200 billboards and you don't remember one. Wow. I, I, I saw a billboard the other day and I remember it. Can I tell you what it is? Yeah. Okay, it was one of those law firms that's like, a you know, they help people who get into accidents. So the billboard just said in huge letters, injured, call this number. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> is this the, like it's facing the highway. Is this really the, like, are injured people driving into work all day long? Like, is this the audience you're trying to get? Like, probably the, we're, we're okay. We're driving. We're not the injured ones. <laughs> They're probably hoping somebody's going to have a fender bender right on the spot. 
Yeah, and then, like, that's the thing, too. They're gonna, is someone going to get into an accident and they have to be, they're bleeding, they're unconscious, they got to be pulled out of their car by the jaws of life and then put in an ambulance? Is, that, <laughs> is he going to, like, just peek open his eyes and say, oh, my God, remember that phone number? I am injured. <laughs> like, that's, so, by the way, I've used this as, like, you're laughing and it's funny, but I've used this as a bit in stand-up comedy, no laughs. It's really hard to get people to laugh in an audience. As you know, as a public speaker. I, I do know it well. And I'm just wondering here, now that oh, we're- Oh, by the way, oh, oh, so, sorry, Kyle, there's one other thing I want to say. I also had a line in the sand in 2008. You did? I, went, I sold a company in 2007 and made a lot of money and bought a house. In two, and I was stupid enough to buy a house at the very peak of the housing market. And then in 2008, I lost everything and I got a divorce and lost my house. And so 2008 and 2009 were, was a real, early 2009 was a real line in the sand for me as well. You know, I, I've seen you talk about this on a comedy stage where you may, you're making everybody laugh at it. Uh, but I, I'm wondering underneath the laughter, what, what were you going through? How long did it take you to create this business? And then what happened and what were you going through when it started to fall? Well, I mean, I, during this period, uh, that was 2008, but from, you know, I sold my first business in 1998 and by 2000 2001, I had pretty much lost all the money from that business. And then I sold another business in two, I want to say 2004. And it took me about a year to lose that. And I started another business and another business and another business. And I think I was just, I was just chasing money too much, always trying to make it back. And it made me so anxious and desperate and depressed all the time. I don't think I really recovered from that first loss in like 2000 until about 2010. And the way I recovered, and you'll appreciate this, is I didn't recover the money necessarily in 2010. I, I recovered myself. And the way I was able to do that was I started just telling my story. I started writing my story. And I had been a writer this whole time as well, but about finance. But now I was writing like my real honest story. And people, my audience grew by a factor of 10 because people were like, oh, that happened to me as well. What did you do then? And so I had, I've literally written three or 4,000 articles since then about what happened to me and what I did afterwards. And, and I built a whole business around storytelling really. And, you know, I started that business in 2015. I, I, the business did in 2018, about 60 million in revenues. And, you know, I'm sure I'm probably going to lose it all again, you know, next year, but that's, I'm, 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 I'm about, what do you mean? I, well, I'm about due. I, uh, to lose all my money. So, but at least now I know, I, at least now I have more, a little bit more confidence. I can make it back and I don't rely on money to, justify my, you know, I used to equate my self-worth with my net worth and I try not to do that anymore. Although it's really hard because you, you think, you think you're dead when you have nothing. And I, and that's the way I felt all the time, like all day long, every day. And when I started to make money back again, I didn't believe just like now, I just, I didn't believe that I had it. Although I will say now I know I can always fall back on my story and, and write it and tell it no matter what bad thing happens to me, it's content for a story. 
So I almost kind of lean into some of the bad things that, that are happening to me just so I then have a story to tell or else I got no more stories left. Oh, no. <laughs> this is, now, you know, I what? honestly, th- I don't, I honestly think I'm not going to, uh, hopefully, I, I don't think I have enough energy to build another business again. But, you know, bad things happen to everybody all the time. Like you never reach a point where, ah, finally, I'm, I'm finished. I succeeded at being a human and I could just coast forever now. Like there's never that moment. Well, here's where I am at the right now. And it, it's interesting that you enlighten me about storytelling. Cause I always think like when you started, it wasn't about storytelling. Your first business was product-based, correct? Yeah. I, you know, I, well, that question, the way you worded it is, is a little bit more nuanced than you might realize. What I did was I made websites for companies. This was in the mid nineties. I had the idea crazy enough that all these companies that didn't have websites would one day need websites. So I built the first website for AmericanExpress.com, TimeWarner.com. And, and, and then I started to specialize, and this is going to sound odd, I started to specialize in gangster rap record labels. And I did all of their websites, like Loud Records, Bad Boy Records, Interscope, Jive. <laughs> so I did all of their websites. Um, I did the, you know, the websites for the Wu-Tang Clan. And, and you know nobody had websites then. So it was, and it was actually hard to sell people on the idea that they needed it. But I was such a passionate believer that storytelling, and this is what's happening in the world, telling a story about what's happening in the world was was the sales technique to convince American Express or Con Edison or, or Bad Boy Records they needed a website. And the reason why I said it was very subtle, you're, you're, there, was a, there was a nuance to your question, which is that's a service business. I would offer people the service that I was going to build their website. But I wish... If I had more business sense, which I do now, 25 years later or 24 years later, I wish I had the sense to say to each company, hey, I have a product that can make your website if you buy my product. Because a product business is worth a lot more than a service business. In a service business, people say all your assets walk out the door every night. In a product business, it's that saying you're making money while you sleep. So take a look at a company that makes websites for other companies that they transformed into a product business. WordPress, that's a billion dollar company because they, they're they not a service business. They're doing the exact same thing I did, but they became a product, they productized their service and grew much faster. And that's the key to to really making, you know, that kind of valuation. You, you see it's subtleties, nuances. I am so detached from business that these things don't normally occur to me until you say it. And I say, oh, well, of course. (laughs) Yeah. So there's some things like that, that I didn't know. And here's what's crazy. I built products. I was a software guy. I built the products to help me build all these websites, but I wouldn't tell the clients because I didn't want them to think it was so easy for me to build their website because I was just using software that I had built to help me make websites. I actually was a product business, but I wouldn't tell my clients that because I didn't want to, I, I wanted them to think it was really hard work so I could charge more. <laughs> oh, no, James. And, and, I, and, and as a result, you know, I probably left millions and millions on the table because I didn't know the difference between service and product business. Would you have lost it anyway when everything went down on you? Probably. I was, a, you know, there's three skills. There's making it, keeping it, growing it. And I was good at making it because I had a good 
gifts. I believe I always believed in what I was doing and I always believed in what I was selling, but I wasn't really, I, I didn't have humility. I didn't understand, hey, this is really great that I did this. And I was lucky. It was a it was an internet boom. And you know, I didn't respect the money. I didn't money has a certain power and I didn't I didn't respect it. And I, and so I lost it. You have to respect the people around you and and the energy around you. And money's like this energy. Abundance is an energy. So you have to feel abundant. And I don't say this in a law of attraction way, but if you're if you're always like saying, for instance, I can't do this, well, you're 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 gonna be the 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 greatest lawyer for your case. And so the the judge of life will believe you. Wow, negative boom, look at that. <laughs> negative self-talk, one entrepreneur called it. Uh, yes. the, the worst thing for a business owner. Well, and, and and there's a lot of evidence that self-talk in general, and again, this is not about visualization or law of attraction. There's a lot of evidence that actually loud self-talk, like really talking to yourself in a positive way, helps you achieve things that you didn't think you could achieve. And I don't mean like, oh, I'm going to be a, saying out loud every morning, I'm going to be a professional basketball player, I'm going to be a professional basketball player. But just like, let's say you're about to go on stage in front of 500 people, saying to yourself, I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous. Yeah. I'm not nervous. I own this you know, stage. I own this stage. Yeah. That, that can actually hypnotize you into believing it. And, and, it'll, and then if you believe it, it'll become true in, in that moment. Well, here's the thing. And you just made me feel good because I, I do feel a tremendous sense of humility as I go into this, uh, because I know that I don't know anything about running a business. I certainly don't know anything about being a CEO, uh, but I do know, and and this is where- well, well, Oh, and I'm sorry to interrupt again, Cal. These are just going to be nuanced things. Words like CEO, and you, you used another word earlier, hiring people, you shouldn't use those words yet. No? Why? No, that, that's almost negative self-talk. What? Yeah, like, why, why do you want to hire people? People, you only want to hire people when you desperately- desperately cannot survive one more minute unless your business brings on that one great special person. And then for the third person and for the fourth person, when you just say hiring people, it's like, okay, I'm going to put an ad in the paper and anyone who walks in, I'm going to just hire a bunch of people to do things I don't want to do. It doesn't work like that. And then you have to be a CEO. You have to manage them. Nobody wants to manage people. That's a, you want to do your thing that you love doing. You don't want to manage people. Oh man, I had no, here's the thing. I, I, I've never been the CEO of my business. What? Yeah, I, I don't want to do that. Being a CEO is, that's hard work, man. Don't do hard work. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say it, the whole thing is a, a mystery to me. And I, I think, and the reason I referenced my dad before, I, I am going to need people to help me. For instance, uh, you know, I'm an old school guy and I I have learned to tweet and I tweet every morning and I'm going to learn Instagram. That's going to be very important. But no. I think it's really smart of me to get somebody who can help me do this in, in a way that's really quick because when I do it, it takes a, a long time and... I think my time should be in other places. Yes, but it could be the case that you're, you have this fear 
that if you do a business, as you call it, I don't even like using the word business, to be honest, but as you do your business, then suddenly the things you love doing is going to be 1% of your time and 99% of the time is going to be this big, ugly thing called a business. And you're afraid of that. So you think you're going to have to hire people. Then you have to manage the people you hire. So you get into this whole negative cycle. Let's discuss first, how are you going to how are you going to solve someone's problems enough that they're willing to pay you some money? And then let's see, let's see if you really need any help doing that. And let's not even call it a business yet. We're just calling it making making money right now. You're going to provide value and make money. Those are the two sides of the equation. Now, I know when I talk to people in business, I know a lot of companies have a hard time telling their story. I know that a lot of companies have a hard time telling their story in a way that all of their own employees understand it. And if they don't understand it, it's very hard for them to put that story outward to the customers. And yes. Uh, and let me ask you a question. Sorry if I interrupt. Sure. Is it okay if I interrupt? Yes. Or maybe are No, that's be angry? why I'm having this podcast for you to interrupt as much as possible. No, because you're describing your idea, and, and if you're on a roll, I didn't want to No, interrupt. no, I but, need help. But, I need help. But I, I always listen to the language, the, the words in, in the sentences. And, and, and so I'm curious, you say you know this, okay? And my first thought is, well, these are companies who probably already have been telling their story. They've hired ad agencies and PR firms, and, and they write corporate annual reports where they have to tell their story. So I'm just curious, what's the disconnect? Like, why do you know this? And my guess is you know this in part because they somewhat know this a little too, but, but why do you know this? Well, I know it because I went to deliver a speech at a hospital. And the great thing about delivering speeches at conferences is you're often invited to spend the day and sit and watch all the other speakers. And you can learn a lot. And at this one conference, a nurse got up and was talking about how every day she holds in the palm of her hand a baby that's been born prematurely, maybe two pounds or less. And when I inquired, I found out that, you know, that story was not getting out. Uh, the CEO of the hospital had hit replacement surgery. And within no time, he was back at, at his hospital and then he was back on the job. Uh, you couldn't have had a better compliment for the hospital. And I said to him, does your sales department know that? And he looked at me and said, I don't think so. So, so when you say sales department for a hospital, what do they do? They go, I can't imagine them going door to door. Are you sick? Use our hospital. <laughs> like, what, what's the sales department of a hospital do? Well, they may sell to companies to for large accounts. And so- I that, see. So, to so have give, a, give me an example. Like like IBM, would if, if their employees got sick, they would have a deal with the hospital or- Well, like for health insurance. Uh, and I, the hospital, maybe people will be able to recognize it immediately, but it basically you sign up with this hospital- and this hospital is going to take care of you. Uh, it's not like Blue Cross or Blue Shield where you can go anywhere. But I, I got to say something now that we're talking about this. 
it, it, it's crazy, but like I have a blue shield and we often ask like a doctor or a specialist, do you accept blue shield? And we're told yes. And then we go in, we do the appointment and oh, we oh. give the insurance card. And then we're later told, no, you got to pay for it. And then there's always some crazy excuse. And I think that number one, uh, if you ask a lot of people, they have a difficult time with healthcare. And, you know, here you had this hospital that was doing these great things and their story in some part was not getting out. I mean, think of it this way. If aliens came from out in space to earth with the intention of finding out what a miracle is, where would they go? They'd go to hospitals. And yet, when we think of healthcare, we tend to often think negatively. And so a lot of hmm. these great things that are happening at hospitals and the great people who work at the hospitals are being overlooked and in fact, the people who are working at the hospitals are just, they're working their asses off and they go home not thinking about telling their stories. They just want to get a rest so they can do it the next day. And, and so, so who would they tell their stories to? Like you mentioned insurance companies because patients go to the insurance company first and say, what hospital should I go to? Well, this particular hospital is like an insurance company at the same time. So people, you, you go in with your problem and you see a doctor at this hospital, you get your prescription in the same place. Everything is completely tailored to your experience. And I'm kind of liking that idea in this day and age. But I guess my, my point here is that I, I know that if any business could tell the best part about itself to the world, it's only gonna have a chance to do better. And there's so much information, consider this, and I read it on the internet, I can't confirm this, but if you look at all the information that's been put out since the dawn of humanity, 90% of it has been created in the last two years. We are, we, we're living in a blizzard of information and mm. getting your story through that blizzard is really important. And not only that, but getting your message through that blizzard is the best way to get it through is with a story because that's what makes it memorable. It's what makes you lean in. It's what grabs you. So I am convinced that the power of storytelling is essential to like every business. And if your business is not able to tell your story, uh, its own story, it's, it may not even exist to much of the world. Do you think most companies think they know how to tell their story? They, maybe they think their problem is they don't get it out. Like that's why they hire PR firms to get them on TV or whatever. I, I'm sure it's kind of interesting. I do these storytelling workshops, James, and a lot of times I do it only with CEOs. And I'll ask the CEO, uh, okay, who is the hero uh, in your company's story? And often when they go to tell it, their answer is they, the CEO, or 
the company. And yet, and it's often been cited, I'm not the person inventing this, this goes thousands of years back, the hero cannot be the company because a hero is always a vulnerable character who's going on a journey and is mm. gonna go through obstacles, quite often is going to meet a guide who is going to show the hero how to get through the obstacles to a point of transformation. So I I love this. If you weren't a writer, I would steal that right now and write an article about what you just said. <laughs> it's been people, this goes back to like Aristotle. No, I know, but I never thought of the customer as the one being the hero of a company. That is a really nice insight. And, and so the business has to think of itself as Mr. Miyagi, not the karate kid. Mm. And if the business isn't seeing itself that way, if it's seeing itself as the hero, it's, it's story is just not going to work. I mean, there are laws in storytelling. Right. I agree with you. So the arc of the hero needs to be present everywhere in their materials, essentially, is what you're saying. And it needs to be a true arc of the hero in the Joseph Campbell sense, as you were just describing. And, uh, but my question is, do they know they need that? Like, like, why do you get, when you get asked to, to talk to this hospital, for instance, what's the topic? Well, the, the topic when I went in was the power of questions. And when I heard these this presentation, I just immediately on the fly started talking about storytelling and how this hospital had to get its story out. And it became a rallying cry for this hospital at the end of it. And I felt completely tied to this hospital. Now you got to realize I used to work in an emergency room. So I know what it's like for people who work at hospitals. I know the caring that goes into it. And it, it saddens me when I think about healthcare and I see people just knocking it down when I know that the people who go into actually doing the caring are just great people with amazing hearts. And we've actually got to care for the people who are giving the care. Mm. I've seen this across the board in, in many different companies. And I start to serve on panels, and this is huge for startups, because if a startup can't understand the arc of its story at the very beginning, then it's going to go to wherever it's going, it's gonna to need to pivot, and it doesn't know its rule, the storytelling rules. So- Yeah, that's very interesting. That's a, a really great way of looking at, at business. Yeah. If one of the things that I'm trying to do, I'm glad you use the word business. And this is where I'm trying to turn it into a business. If I could like give a, a shot to a business that was just starting out that says, okay, from now on, after this workshop, after this work that I'm doing with you, you are going to know how to tell your story they will always know it from that point on. They won't you know, get- I'm, uh, But I'm wondering though, again, you know they need this, but it's often a common thing 
that the business doesn't know what it needs. Even if they say we need this, they might not get to the point where they pay for it. So, so, so what makes you think without you giving a talk there, what makes you think that a business thinks that they need this? Cause again, most big businesses hire PR firms. They have communication. You're going to have to deal with the communications people inside the business who already think they're experts at it. And I'm sure that they are experts at it. But again, and this, it's amazing where this conversation started, James, because I think it really goes back to that fault line in 2008 when you had this story on one side and the editorial people who were creating it, uh, they got hit and you had the advertisers and the marketers get hit on the other side. And I think what happens is that also one other thing, you have this younger generation that's coming up and they don't want to see bullshit. They don't want to be manipulated. They smell the manipulation and they want what's authentic. And it's the company's DNA. It's its story that's authentic. It's not a, a marketing uh, play to make you feel a certain way. People want what actually is right now. And that is the story. And all I, I, I've been feeling it and more and more companies were inviting me in to do the workshops. And then I got to a place where I'm doing workshop after workshop and I went to give a speech the night before the speech, as I was doing at the start of this podcast, I was running myself down as a CEO and you had two very successful CEOs at the table. And one turned to me and said, like, what, Cal, what is it that Larry King and Tim Ferriss sees in you that you don't see in yourself? Well, like, why mm. can't you be a great CEO? And it stopped me cold, stopped me cold. And so the next night I went out to give my speech and I referenced this conversation. And then in typical Cal fashion, because if I'm going to do something, it's going to have a grand gesture attached to it. And that's when I got up in front of the crowd and said, okay, I'm going to step up as CEO. And that's when I said, I am going to bring in a million dollars in new revenue by the end of May, which only gave me two months. And right. you know more than anybody, I don't know anything about business <laughs> or how to even do this, which right. is why I wanted you on the podcast in the first place. Okay. So let so, so again, I'm, I'm asking, I'm just trying to figure out, this, this is a reasonable process where you give these talks and the talks are kind of in these corporate talks are somewhat educational, like the power of questions, somewhat inspirational. And you help companies figure out their story or how to be more compassionate with their customers. You know, kind of, I, I assume the, the part of the idea behind the power of questions is the nurse goes in there with the humility to ask questions instead of acting like she, she or he knows everything then they'll perform better on the job. And there's a lot of evidence for that. And then you realize, okay, but these companies, these hospitals, for instance, they don't quite know how to tell their, no one's getting their story 
out or they don't know how to, t- they don't know what the important stories are in what they do. And if you could tell them this and charge for that, then that would be great. But my question always is, how, do they know that they need this? Like that hospital didn't know until you really broke it down for them that they needed it. Well, a lot of companies do. And you know why, James? Uh, because it's two kinds of companies that mostly need this. It's not the company that's on an even keel. Everything's okay. We're doing fine. Even if they're scared of being disrupted, they're just in that state of evenness. Uh, What I'm finding is the companies that are reaching out to me are companies that are growing rapidly and they're taking on a lot of employees. And so you've got all these people coming into the company. If they don't know the company's story, if they don't know the company's culture, it's not good for the company. It's not good for anything about it because they're the face of the company. And that face is saying, well, I don't really know what this company is about. I just work here. The other side of that is companies that are in trouble. Uh, And they know that they need help because they're in trouble and they've got to pivot and they've got to figure out where are we going and how are we going to tell people this? And so I know that I can help these people. And not only that, because I've done these workshops now over half day or a whole day. And at the end of a day, you can send your people in and they will exit not only with their story, but they will know the rules of storytelling. They will know... Go ahead. I think that's excellent. And and do they do you also tell how they get that story out or do they they leave that for their PR firm? Well, this is the next step that I'm going to take. Uh, and you tell me how valuable is that for me to step up with that strategy? Well, I think you don't want to go head to head against a PR firm uh, because they're trained to kill you before you even walk in the door. But I, there is a way around this, which is take that hospital, for instance. By the time you were done with them, the CEO or whoever you were dealing with was like, oh my God, that's we hear you, but how can we start implementing this? And I think, you know, and we're just brainstorming here. Yeah, and One just, thing, just let me, the, the hospital already invited me back to- right, so, to speak again and to help find their stories. So they're seeing the relevance in it. Right. So I think there's several, let's just brainstorm. Okay. This is totally brainstorming. You, You go back for that workshop, whatever it is you charge, it's like your speaking fee. And then you say, listen, I don't give talks. This workshop is to put you on a path for the next year. And you can't, you're not going to suddenly go from the organization you were to being this storytelling machine just because I'm giving a workshop. This is just the, the initiation. And then you need to maintain for the next year. Now, I don't know what your PR firm charges you, probably fifteen dollars to $30,000 a month. But for $5,000 a month, I will go through all of your materials that you're putting out there 
and I will help you craft them into stories. And and then that and that I'll, I'll do a complete audit of everything you're handing your PR firm, every type of news coverage you're getting, every story you tell. Maybe I'll even um, uh, have someone, or I will do it myself, uh, interview patients, you know, so that we 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 get a few stories a month out of them for you, and, and I work with your PR firm on on what to do with those stories. But you need maintenance after your initiation. The product I offer is to turn you into a storytelling machine. And if you don't improve your revenues by 10%, or if you improve your revenues by 10%, I, I get a, a a bonus. Or maybe there's some other way to get skin in the game. Like I'll give you back half the money you gave me. If you don't improve your revenues by 10%, you have the option to to take back half of what you half of what you gave me. But I'm absolutely convinced uh you need this and you'll improve revenues and profits accordingly. And and reviews, you know, that are on Yelp or wherever people review and, and so on. You know, that's why you, this way you turn your one-time speech into a product. You're basically offering the, you're, 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 you're offering the storytelling machine to them. You're going to sell the storytelling machine and that's going to transform the way they see themselves and the way their customers see themselves and the way the media sees them and, and so on. And so that's where this maintenance aspect comes in. And and I don't want to walk in in one day and walk out because I want to see the company thrive. Uh, and this is the amazing part about it, James. That this is what completely caught me off guard because I never, ever, ever thought on the sales side or the advertising side, I was taught never to go on that side of the wall. And what I'm realizing is if I help a great business tell its story and it starts to do really well and people get hired and families blossom and kids get sent to college, that is like way bigger than what I was doing by writing one-off articles that people loved but I don't know that it was sending anybody to college outside of my own kids. Right. And that's just it, is that you don't want to leave there at the end because the work's just beginning. They're, they had this aha moment, but then they don't know what to do once you walk out the door. And you could tell them that, like, listen, I, I think you, you could say, I think you guys realize the importance of this. And I think you realize how you can make a lot more money by telling your story better. But now the work begins. And I think... What we need to do is for just a year, no more, because then in a year you'll you'll offer something new. But for just a year, no, no more, you need me to come in once a month and do an audit of what's of 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 your storytelling that month and maybe create some stories for you and maybe see what the PR firm is messaging for you. Maybe look at your annual report and, and make sure you're following kind of the storytelling mechanism or when your CEO is about to make a speech or, or, or go on the media himself, he needs to understand the story. So he needs coaching. And I think essentially what you're doing building is a coaching product for to, to, to help companies and CEOs tell their story better. And so it's not a speech, it's a coaching product that you're going to start offering. Well, and so, I, and so, yeah, and so now let's say you're turning it into a strategy. And I think I was doing it, it was just happening 
rather you, what you're doing is you're focusing it and shooting it at a bullseye as if it's right out of the bow. I'm not trained to think that way. Uh, right, but you're like so far we haven't needed to even call it a business and we haven't even needed to hire anyone yet. But you um, know what? I got Jamie, the videographer behind me here and he's mm -hmm. a great guy. I love him and I'm going to pay him. So it's a question of, do you want to bring in people that do great work and that you care about and that care about you? Well, well yes, but when, when you need it and, and pr probably you do need a videographer, but let's just, we're just brainstorming here. Uh, we still don't know yet for sure clients, customers want it. Now they only want it after you give a whole day talk to convince them of it. But if you were to just, well, let me ask you a question. How many CEOs can you pick up the phone and call and, and they will take your call? You've given a lot of talks, so probably every place where you're giving a talk. There, there, I, I imagine there are quite a few. Uh, I, I never really thought of it that way. You know what? how it's happened is I gave a, a, a talk about uh, questions and storytelling to at a, at a conference called the CMO Club. It's all chief marketing officers. Mm -hmm. And after that talk, like seven chief marketing officers came over and they were talking about difficulties that they were having and they were asking about how storytelling could help solve them. And now, okay, okay. We're, now we're talking. Okay. Here, here's what you should do. I want you to write down a list of all the things an organization needs to do to become better storytellers. You know, so for instance, they need to understand what a story is. They need to understand that the hero of the story is the customer. They need to understand that storytelling could involve social media, could involve video, could involve writing, could involve the corporate report, could involve the CEO going on media. They need to understand all the different ways a, a company needs to or possibly could tell their story. And that, yes, I know this sound, you, you could say that I know this all sounds overwhelming. But guaranteed, you will make 20% more in revenues and profits over the next year. And I really see it. When you told me, you, you, I'm pretending I'm you. I'm talking to the CMOs. When you were telling me your problems, I can really see it. And I've seen this all over the place. You will increase your revenues if you simply do these things. And it doesn't take a lot of work. I will come in and once a month or twice a month, whatever, I will audit all of your materials. I will train your leaders and I will maintain this for you for just a year. It's just a one-year contract and it's 5,000 a month, which guaranteed is less than you guys pay your PR firm and your ad agency. And at the same time, I'm going to make the story you put out there a thousand percent better. And now, now you want a million dollars, right? So you charge here. I'll do the math. Here's you do $4,500 a month is what you charge, which is really little. And you only need to do have 20 clients. And how much is that in a year? Wow. See, I don't even think like this. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I don't have that. You, so you, so what's, what's 90,000 times 12 is, a, is like a million 80,000, right? So, uh, that's how you, that's how you charge a million in revenue. Wow. 
And so, by the way, so then, okay, bring the video guy. You're paying him, whatever. The rest- <laughs> You just put rest, a smile on Jamie's face. <laughs> right, because like if you're going to a hospital, it's great to have video and photos so you can you can hand those over, to, you know, in various ways, in various formats for, that's good for Instagram, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, it's good for the PR firms to send to local media when they want a story. But the PR firm's not doing this. The PR firm's not going from room to room and gathering the story. The PR firm's just waiting for an emergency to happen, and then the CEO calls them. And, so, and here, here's the thing. I, I actually, I, I, and it maybe shows you how naive I am, James, uh, because I don't see- the, I don't think you're naive at all. Really? I, yes. I don't see the PR firm as my enemy. I don't see the marketing agency as my enemy. I, if I was them, I'd be calling me up first. Yes. And so you just have to always make sure nobody is threatened. Like you're not trying to be a PR firm. No. You, the, you, you, you're right. The PR firm should love you. So, so the whole idea is you could say to them, I don't know what you guys are paying your PR firm, but unless you hand them good stories, you're wasting your money. Let's maximize the stories that your PR firm can tell because otherwise you're wasting money on the PR firm. So essentially right now, let's make you get every dollar out of that 20,000 a month. You're paying your PR firm. You only have to pay me 4,500 a month and just for one year, because then you won't need me after that one year, you'll be able to do it yourself and, um, try me out, try me out for the first month for free and you'll see what I can do. Well, I, I, you know, what's interesting about what you're saying is that if I was thinking that way, I would only need a certain number of companies to hit my number. Uh, and right. So, and, and by the way, you can make that a selling point, right? So you can say, listen, they're going to say, well, send me your, your materials and where's your website? And you say, no, I'm taking on, I know everybody needs this. I've talked to over a thousand CEOs and chief marketing officers. Every single one has the same problem. I know they need this. And I am only taking on 20 clients. I'm not taking on one single. I don't want to be out there. I'm telling my story right now to you. I don't need to broadcast my story on a website or make, I don't need to tell the story. I don't need this. I'm t the way I tell my story is one-on-one -on -one to you, the CEO. And I'm only taking on 20 companies slash CEOs. And then I'm stopping. And wow, wow. You know, it's funny. I put out like an email blast earlier this week and said, my mission is to help 100 companies tell their stories, which shows you I just have no sense of the business. Uh, no, no. It's so interesting because you do understand. You, Explain let me tell you the two me ways. How I understand because I don't understand how I understand. No, let me tell you the two ways in this conversation you've described your business idea. You've done it twice. You just did it just now. You described, I need to tell 100 people how to tell the story of their business. That's one way. The other way you told me earlier, which is that, James, you said, every company can benefit from learning how to tell their story. In other words, you were telling the story of your business by focusing on the customer that, that first time you were describing it, a la using your technique. The, la the second time you told me you didn't use your technique, you were focusing on you. Here, here's the thing. And again, I didn't invent this. 
it goes. No, but wait, wait, right. but wait, wait. I, 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 I know the the what you're saying. I know the arc of the hero. You describe in the first time you describe what you needed to do. You you used your own technique. You said <laughs> you said James. The companies don't know how to tell their story. They're dying to tell their story correctly. They don't know how. I and then I can show them how. You put the customer as the hero. Then and then the second time. You didn't do that. You said, hey, everybody, I need to help a hundred people tell their story better. You didn't put the customer first the second time you described your business idea. So I see so, what you're so, saying. I yeah, yeah, I got it. Be consistent. Be consistent. But, but well, you got to use your own technique on yourself. And it's not like they should hire you because you need them to hire you. They should hire you because they're because they're the hero. And and as the hero, they're saving fucking lives and they're not telling that story. And that's how you make them the hero of your story. Yeah, you know what? It's funny, James, something happened to me that really grabbed me by the lapels. I was doing a, a show with Larry King and we had a third party, a guest, young woman, who asked Larry and I what our purpose was. And Larry immediately said, to communicate, came shot right off his lips, as strong as it could possibly be said, and then he explained why. And he was fully expecting me to say, to communicate as well, because we're both journalists, or came up asking questions and interviewing people, and without even thinking, my response was to help people I didn't say to communicate. I said, my purpose is to help people. So I think when I was saying my mission is to help a hundred companies tell their stories better, I was looking into my own heart and my own goal. And I was expressing that, but I, I get your point. I have to make sure everybody understands I am Mr. Miyagi here and I'm looking for karate kids. Yeah. And so that's why when you say Mr. Miyagi doesn't say to the karate kid, Hey, I need to help you. He says what you said the first time. Oh, Daniel-san, you need to, you know, be a little better at, you know, washing cars or whatever. So, you know, I think taking your you know, following your own advice on how to tell your story, don't forget that the customer is the hero. It's not like it's not like you need something. They're the hero. They need something. They're weak and need the to to cross over from the world of the ordinary into the world of the extraordinary. And you could help them with that by delivering this ability, by teaching them the force, just to telling them, getting them to tell their story. And so I think by going, that's the that's the sales pitch essentially, is by telling your story, but making them the hero, like, you, like you're going to advise them to do. Um, you call up these CMOs and say, listen, I was really listening to what you were saying. You can tell a beautiful, beautiful story about what you do. And that story is going to make you 25% more in revenues next year. You will hit every number. And not only that, you'll be able, you're not maximizing the amount you're paying your PR firm, your ad agency, and so on. I can see this from all your collateral materials. I, I already spoke with you. I already, you've heard me give a talk. You know, I know what I'm talking about. 
um, let me come in and do an audit of your storytelling ability, and we could see if you need help at getting better at storytelling. And you do that audit for free, and then what you're charging is almost trivial for them, for them to get this enormous advice and coaching. You could probably even charge 50000 a month, but let's start, start it small, 4000 5000 a month. Well, I, I'm on this journey, and it's a, been a step-by-step transition, and what's happening is I find that I actually don't even have to sell because when I start to tell stories, people understand that I know how to tell stories, and they know how, that I know how to find the stories, so they come to me and ask, I have this problem. How would you do it? And Okay. So what do you say then? I say, I can help you. I'm happy to help you because I want to help a hundred companies tell their stories until and, now. And, now, James, I'm going to, I'm not going to use that phrase anymore. And then, and then after you say, I'll help you, what do they do? They're very happy. And then we exchange emails and now we're talking. And some are inviting me in. I mean, it, it's this is happening. Right. So how many are inviting you in? Um, well, one, two, three, four, five, six. And then there's a bunch more that we're talking with. And we'll start to set those up. All right. So let's say it's 10. Um, now the math is 9,000 a month. And that's, that's in their budgets. Everybody's got 9,000 a month they could spend to grow their revenues 25%. And remember, always focusing on them, right? You, if they say, how'd you come with this 9,000? I'm going to say, say, James Altucher told me. <laughs> yeah, you could, say, you could say, look, I could be charging 50,000 for this because I'm going to grow. <laughs> if your revenues are 100 million a year and you make 25% more in revenues, that's 125 million. Like, Always focus on them. Like, look, if you like me, uh, maybe you give me a bonus at the end of the year, but this is what I charge. Wow. See, I, yeah, I, I never think of it that way because I don't have a business mind. But here's what I do know. Simply by getting these great stories out and bringing them over to the sales department is a huge uplift because quite often these stories get stuck in silos and they don't make it to the sales department. And it's the salespeople that can really use them to sell the product. So this simply. Right. Like, like, and there's evidence of this, right? Like look at Robert Childany's book, Influence, that uh, social proof is a key aspect of influence. Answering objections of the customer is a key aspect of influence. So you're only going to you're only going to be able to provide let's call it authority, social proof and answering of objections. So those are three aspects of Robert Cialdini's uh book Influence, how to influence people. The only way they're going to get that the sales team is if someone like you goes in there and 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 gets them those stories, stories that answer the objections stories that are social proof, basically testimonials and stories that are authority. Like that story of the CEO of another hospital, of a hospital actually getting back to work faster because of the hospital, that's authority. 
um, it's a it's a testimonial from someone who who is in the business. Yeah, I mean, These what are, what salesperson wouldn't want to have these stories in their pockets when they went out to try and make a sale. It's it, there's, I don't even see any objections. Uh, I think, and you, you know, then there's another product here, by the way, which is at some point you can't do it all yourself. You're going to need people who are authorized by you to help companies tell their stories. Uh-huh. So you're going to have, you're going to have to. Now it's a business, James. This is right. the way I was thinking. So now you're going to have to train people to be corporate storytelling coaches in using your methodology. You need to develop a methodology that you'll teach them. And this is not BS. You have a methodology. So, but you have to learn this methodology by first doing it for a few companies and, 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 you know, building a, a small business and then you, t- then you meta that small business and it becomes a big business. So that's why they, that's why they say the first million's the hardest, because that's when you're actually, you're doing all the work and then you meta it. And now it's a $10 million business because you've meta sized it. Well, and, and you really got, you're doing a great podcast here, James, because you got <laughs> to exactly the, the point that is driving my thought process to bringing in a bunch of money early in the process because I was interviewing on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Stephen Gundry. He's the author of The Plant Paradox. He used to be the head of uh, cardiothoracic surgery at Loma Linda University. And then he realized through a patient that wow, we could correct this problem using supplements and diet, and I won't have to be doing repeat surgeries on people. And he left his position because he tried these supplements, he tried this diet, it worked for him, he saw it work on his patients, and then all of a sudden he's out on his own, and you know what? The structure of the hospital wasn't there to protect him, he wasn't charging the same fees, and he his house was foreclosed upon. He was in real financial trouble. He needed his parents in their 80s to sign for a car lease for him. And you know, this is a highly accomplished man, and it took him 10 to 12 years of going through that horrific experience, which his wife called Black Friday on the day that he left the hospital to do this. Now he came through it. He wrote a New York Times bestseller. And now he's got a company with 600 employees selling these supplements. He's got four best-selling books and he's in a great place. But you know what? I'm listening to him and I just said, there is no way I'm going through what he went through, and especially not after going through the Great Recession and all the problems in the magazine industry. I got to think this through clearly. I got to have a buffer so that if I do hire people, I know I can pay them. I can't just say, oh, this we're going off on an adventure here and come with me and I may be able to take care of you and I may not. If they're coming on with me, I need to be able to take care of them. 
And so that's why I was thinking of trying to build up a stockpile so I could bring people on slowly and build this business. You know, who's the biggest, what's the biggest company you're talking to? The biggest company I'm talking to. Would, you, you don't have to tell me the name, but right, like, it what's, probably, the, what's their revenue right. roughly? I, oh, I, the, the revenue is huge. I don't even know what the, you see, that's the thing. I don't even look at the financial statements to know what the revenue uh, is. Trust that, me. That's okay. Everybody like, knows is this, it like Everybody knows this hospital and it's huge. Okay. Uh, so like a billion in revenues, you think, or? I haven't, that's the thing. I, I really have to educate myself on money. I don't, I don't, you know what, James, I'm going to tell you a story. Years ago, when I was traveling around the world for 10 years without a home, I was on the back of a bus in Rio de Janeiro. I had a little belt underneath my pants. It had a few bucks in it. That was it. And I'm sitting there my hands behind my head thinking, man, I am a free man. I'm, I'm remembering somebody back in the United States who wanted to go traveling. And I said, come with me. And he said, no, no, I'll lose my job. And I said, but you hate your job. He said, yeah, but what if I lose it? And he never did. And I'm just thinking, man, I am free to do what I want to do. And I only had a few bucks on me. And then in those days on the buses, there were these turnstiles that you would have to go through and you would pay your money to get into the bus. You'd board in the back, get off in the front. And like five street kids managed to distract the guy taking the money and they shot through the turnstiles and they managed to get seats and they're sitting in front of me laughing. <laughs> we're on, we're on. And I looked at them, they had absolutely nothing. And I thought, man, they are freer than I am. And this is, I, I, it's, it's an important story because it just shows you, I've, I don't see money in the way that I'm going to need to look at it. I, I guess I should know if companies are making billions of dollars. I gotta educate well, myself. Here, here's the reason I ask. It's because I, I get it. I don't know what, like for instance, Coca Cola makes. I have no clue. But money and value are weird things. Uh, I, I was talking to one person who is a like a life coach, and she told me she was visiting her daughter who was had a job in, I forget where it was. Let's say Dubai, and she was, you know, going out and and meeting people where she could. And she ran into someone and he said, what do you do? And she said, oh, I'm a, I'm a life coach. And he said, oh, I need a life. They talked for a while. And he said, I need a life coach. Can I hire you as a life coach? And she said, sure. And they, they arranged to meet the next day to discuss it more. She went to her daughter and she said, what? I don't know what to charge this guy. Maybe I'll charge him 10,000 a month. And the daughter told her, no, charge him a million. What? A million a year. What? Yeah, charge him a, a million a year. And so she went back to this guy and he said, what do you charge? And she said, I charge a million dollars a year. And he said, okay. And, <laughs> and, and she's got three, this is a true story. She's got three clients now and makes three million a year. Oh my God. I, you know what? It's hard. And, and here's why it's hard for me to think that way. Because like there's one company that I'm talking with about going there. It's the middle of the country, the heartland. And they're not going to pay a million dollars a year. But you know what? 
I, I love this company. This is a company that was founded generations ago, and they're moving forward with new environmental technology, and they know they've got to get their story out in a new way. And I want to help them. It makes me feel good. And, and well, you have to know whether or not they're profitable. The, the one thing I have to say is you have to kind of, you're only going to take money from people who have money. Right. But they, they've been around for decades, so they're profitable and they have a lot of people working there. So uh, I look, I shook the CEO's hand. I looked in his eyes. I know this guy is a solid guy and it makes me feel happy to be able to help him. And so I know that these are definitely weaknesses because I guess as a CEO, I should be thinking, wow, I, I should try and grab, grasp as much money as I possibly can. No, not necessarily. It's all relative. Like it's almost like you have to test the market and also test yourself. Like you, you might feel really uncomfortable asking for money and you have to practice that. So that's a skill. So like maybe, maybe call one of the CMOs and say, listen, I heard what you said the other day. You, and remember, always don't say I can help you. Say you, you guys could really make so much more money if you could tell your story better. Whenever, when I heard you speaking, and, and you know, you guys do great things, but somehow I am not hearing about it. I'm not hearing about you in the marketplace. You're not telling your story well. You're probably not maximizing the way you use your ad agency and your PR firm. I could essentially be your storytelling. I have a corporate storytelling coaching system I use that I've developed and I could go in there and help you guys. And he's going to say, sure. He's going to say, send me over your stuff or send me over your pitch. And you say, I don't have a pitch. I'm only take. I like you guys. I'm only taking on very few clients right now. And I want to see if we're, if we're a fit. I'm not taking on any, remember Mr. Miyagi didn't want to take on, you know, Daniel's that's right. Son. He only took on Daniel's son. That's right. Yeah. You're, it's a very he, good point. He didn't want to, he didn't want to take him on. So, so you, so if someone asks you for something, you don't give anything, they give you. So you say, listen, I like you and, and you express to me some problems. So I'm happy to meet you and discuss this. If you're willing to go, if you're willing to consider going forward with this. And he'll say, sure, uh, uh, you know, or what do you want to do? And you say, okay, I'll fly to you and, and meet with you and we could discuss. And, and here's something, you know, I'll send you an email, some things I want to see in the company. You know, I want to look at some of your materials and some of this other stuff you were mentioning. And then you go there. And then once you're in there and you're talking to them all day, and then, you, then finally at the end, you say, okay, here are the 10 ways you need help. Not the 10 ways I can help you. Here are the 10 ways you need help. They're the hero of your story. Would you agree? And he's going to say, yeah, I think we could be better at all those things. And then you say, I know. And you, I promise you, you will be so happy and so much better within a year. Your ad agency is going to love you. Your PR firm is going to love you. Your customers are going to love you. Your employees are going to have higher satisfaction and, and we can measure all of this. And you're going to feel better about your job and your company's going to have more revenues. Would that be something that would be good for you? And he's going to say yes. And you could say, fine. I mean, 
I could I could send you a more formal proposal, but essentially I charge twelve thousand five hundred a month, and I'm sure that's trivial for you guys compared to what you pay your ad agency and your PR firm. And remember, I'm only taking on a few customers. I'm only taking on the customers that have really come to me and expressed some difficulty to me. And well, uh, it's more more than that. I have to know that they have a really good story. Uh, because right, right, if, you can if say they don't, if they don't have a you, good story, I'm not going to go for any company just because they have a problem. If they don't have a good story, there's no sense for me to be in there. What does every good investor do? Every good investor buys low, sells high. So, so they are telling a bad story now, but you know they have a good story, and so. There's such, you say to this guy, there's such a huge disconnect and it's no one's fault. This is like every company in the world, but I am so amazed by the story you've already put together, but you're just not quite telling it. I've spent, and it's okay. I've spent 30 years writing stories, telling stories. I will show you how to tell the story that solves all these problems, making your customers happier, making your ad agency happier, making PR firm happier, making media happier, making the CEO happier, making you happier, making you have more revenues. If, and and what's he going to say? He's going to say, nah, I'm, we're going to stick to the bad story. Thanks anyway, Cal, you're great. See, you know, like some of them will say that, but some of them will say yes. Now, if you're charging 12500 a month, how many people do you need to do to, uh, to, to only, make a million? Only 10, only 10, uh, right? I will tell you, uh, you will need about eight, seven. Eight. No, eight, you'll need nine. Seven. seven? Do, do, the, do the math. It's um, it's eighty-seven five hundred right a a a month, and that's about a million a year. I mean, how do you figure that? Like when you say twelve five, how does it go down to eighty-seven five or eighty-seven? Eighty-seven thousand five hundred a month if you have seven clients, right? Oh, uh, I see. Okay, yeah, I got it. Uh, yeah. uh, so then you need so, twelve tw- in twelve months. It's really eighty-seven thousand seven hundred. Whatever. Whatever. Anyway. The key is that's enough to make you 12, five with just seven clients and you've just billed a million for the year. Wow. So only seven clients. Oh my God. And, and if a company is a huge hospital chain was 12, five a month and you're already talking to a C-level executive, his budget is 500 million maybe. So this is nothing for him. 12,500 a month. He could fire you anytime if he wants. Well, you know what? People have told me, like, I'm a rounding error in a, right. in a, big, in a big company. And for the value that I'm giving, it's, it's, it's laughable. Well, year, yeah. year two, you say, look, I'm only taking on whatever clients th- this year. I'm 75000 a month now. Oh my God. <laughs> but, but, but then you do, but then it's just. Oh, man. But, but but Cal, remember, it's never about you. They're the hero, right? The customer is the hero. So you, the math then becomes simple then. If it's about you, the math is hard. If it's about them, the math is simple. In a year, you could say, listen, you just made $25 million extra in profits. So part of that, I'm sure not all of it, but part of that is due to you telling a better story now. If you agree with me, then this is not, I'm I'm even going to do even more. Now I can focus on, with seventy five thousand, it's not it's not for my pleasure. It's so you can make an extra fifty million next year. 
Wow. You know, I can't thank you enough. It's almost like an, I can digest so much at one time. Uh, but what you've done is you've simplified it in a way that makes it very doable because I don't have to rush around looking for so many people or, and this is the other thing about it, my curiosity makes, just turns on and I wanna know what people's problems are and I wanna try and figure out how I can help them. And I guess what you're telling me is, hey Cal, you better discipline yourself and find the right people to work with uh, that can afford it and make this whole process doable for you. Okay, so let's, let's think of some practical things tomorrow to do. Um, so thing number one is, what are all, just a list, what are the 10 ways every company that has a good story, what are the 10 ways a company should be able to tell their story better? So they should be able to, for instance, explain their company better. They should be able to tell the stories of their customers better. They should be able to tell their photo stories better, like on Instagram and, and video stories on YouTube. They should be able to tell the media this story better. They should be able to tell investors their story better. So these are some of the, the white ways. And then under each one of those, make two or three bullet points, how you could help them improve in that one area. So now you have 10 items and 30 bullets. And then uh, make the list of the companies you want to work with and call them, call one of them. That's what you have to do tomorrow. Wow. You know what, James? I, I, this is exactly why I wanted to have this discussion because you've just honed it down to an arrow and given me the bow and given me the bullseye. And I guess I, I just have to aim it. And I'm coming into this completely sincere. I want to do great things. Uh, okay, I don't have uh, an, I, I, I can never go and say my price is a million dollars, but you made it very reasonable. And and here's the thing, this might, we don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea. Uh, I do. But we're going to, I do. But, but right. I, it, it's, you know, it will help them and we'll see how they respond. So two things, if they respond negatively, one is recrafting how you're proposing to them or we brainstorm again. But when I say write down these 10 ideas, then the, then the three bullet points for each underneath how you're going to help them tell their story better in that way and with, with, with three bullets, that's the corporate storytelling coaching system developed by Cal Busman. That's your product. And you're going to sell them that product. Again, when they view it, when they view it as a product and you're in your machine, you're going to go essentially set up that product for them. You're going to re recreate the way everybody from the CEO to the janitor is telling the story. That's the service you offer. And it takes you one year of monthly effort each month to, to do it. This is amazing. I, I, I'm so grateful, James, uh, because I never would have thought this way. Uh, all of my actions are always improvisational. And so I go in and I do a workshop. And when people walk out, they know that they now can tell their story or they can tell their story better. 
and they're very grateful. So I've seen this work. I've seen the marks that people give the workshops and they're extremely high. So I, I know what I have, uh, but you're right. I'm, I'm missing seeing it as a business, just the way you described it. And I'm gonna do just what you said, and I'm gonna follow through on it and see where it takes me on my journey. Yeah, notice it's not a business yet in the sense that this is kind of phase one. Phase two, where you go meta, is where it starts to turn into a real business. That'll be another podcast, James. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this is, I'm just trying to make it so you could bill a million dollars next month. And, but here's, here's what I think you should do too, is I think you should record the conversation that you have with the first marketing guy so you could listen to it and analyze it how you did. Wow. I never, I didn't think of that. I, I'm going to start, you're, you're right. Because you're your right. voice is going to waver sometimes and you'll notice that and noticing, you know, awareness is always the key to solving. And so you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to notice when you're nervous, you're going to notice when you pause a little too much, just like, just like if you were to record a speech to make, to make yourself better. That, that's a great idea. And I already know that as long as the conversation is focused on telling the story, I can guarantee, well, my feeling is I'll have to listen, but I would think that my voice is going to be strong and positive and on point throughout. And when it comes to these points of money, uh, that's where you're going to hear me pause and... No, no, but don't tell money the first time. You have to see them. Yeah, you say, look, let's just see how big the situation is. Let me come in and spend some time with you and talk to the other employees and we can go over the story, the corporate storytelling system I've developed. You could see if you, if that resonates with you, but, but you've already kind of told me that it does, you, you know, you're saying to the CMO and I want to, I want to understand a little more, but you know, then we'll, we'll figure out the price. Just do the price with them in, in after, after another visit, make them invest more time in you is what I'm saying, because that's another cognitive bias. You know, they're going to have a sunken cost and in you, and they'll be more receptive to you charging. Yeah, you know, and two things here. Uh, one, I don't even think I'm gonna get into the, the price. I'll, I'll have Kevin, the manager, uh, just deal with the numbers because it's it's just better for me to be on in the place where I do what I do. Uh, so I think, that's going to make me feel easier. And, and two, I'm very grateful that you, you mentioned the idea of recording this because this conversation I now can go back and listen to and get the deeper levels that were there that I might not have picked up the first time. And also, you know, I'll go back and listen to this 10 years ago and think, James, this was the start. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And then my, my only request is if you ever see me in the gutter with a needle sticking out of my arm, just pull me over to the sidewalk before I get run over. Because, because at that point, there will be people chasing me and 
<laughs> to avoid the emotional pain and uh, because of the suffering I've caused everyone else in my life, I will have started numbing my emotions through drugs, but I may have stumbled on a, you know, next to the sewer in the gutter. Well, not only will I pick you up, but by that time, I will take you to the hospital that I'm working with, and they're going to turn this into the greatest success story you've ever heard. That, that'll be good. They'll probably just keep me there forever. Like, tell us that story again, James. <laughs> tell it again. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll start a comedy club inside the hospital. That'd be fun. I'd do that. <laughs> well, Sick I got, people need to laugh. You said it. I got to say thank you. You are this, this fountain of inspiration and a source of education for me. And however I can help you back, please let me know. Uh, definitely. And don't uh, wait till Cal, you're I'm in sure. the gutter, James. Oh, oh, Cal, I'm gonna be uh, June 15th. Um, um, I'm going on tour. I'm gonna be the James Altucher show plus me doing some comedy. Is it gonna be in the Regent Theater in L.A.? Okay, so, booked. So I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring people. Masses excellent. Of yeah, people. I'll, I'll comp. I'll comp you in. I'll comp anybody who's. Uh, Who's, who, who's listening and sends you a message. Oh, that's beautiful. I can't so, wait. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll see you soon. I'll see you in about less than two months. All right. Thank you so much, James. This is the start of something beautiful, and I'm glad to have you in on it. And the next time we see each other, we will continue laughing together. Excellent, Cal. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. That about wraps it up. want to thank Tim Ferriss for nudging me to start this podcast. It's led to my friendship with James, the emails I receive from you, and the emails I send back. Much gratitude to those who've sent in business advice and pointed to companies that need help with their storytelling. Grateful to all of you who bless me with your support. That includes a special shout out to Chris C. Media on Twitter, Chris Bowles, and Fu Van Chiasong. One last reminder to check out my sponsors. That means we work for all the office space you'll ever need. Phone booth, table, office, conference room, theater space. WeWork has got it. Go to www.we.co slash cal for a 20% discount. And Sportique for the most comfortable hoodies, tees, and sweatpants you can imagine. Not a day goes by when I don't wear my Sportiques. Go to Sportique.com, S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com to see why and use the offer code CAL for a 20% discount. If you like comedy, you can catch James Altucher performing at The Regent in Los Angeles on June 15th. And if you're in Europe in early July, I'll be doing a storytelling workshop in Munich, July 5th and 6th. It's at Cochrea in downtown Munich. The website is www.cochrea.com. That's spelled C-O-K-R-E-A. And thank you, Christoph Weiss, for making it happen. Listeners of Big Questions can email me for details as well. Would love to clink glasses with you in Munich. So much good stuff is happening. It's onward, upward, and Cheers. Cheers.